years ago, there was a young man traveling and um, had a dream. He dreamed he wanted to be a peach farmer. And he was able to acquire land that had some peach trees. And so he worked very hard uh, to get his, his, his field established. He had his trees. He nurtured them. He planted more. And he worked with everything he had to make this happen. And sure enough, the spring came. The peach harvest was just full of blossoms. And he was so excited. And then it, the unexpected frost came. And overnight, he lost everything. Devastated. The following Sunday, he wasn't at church. And the following Sunday after that, he wasn't at church. And the Sunday after that. And his pastor made a trip. He said, I need to go check on my friend. And he went out to the farm and he he found the young man. The young man looked at him and he said, Pastor, I'm not coming back. How can I worship a God who cares so little for me that he would destroy my peaches? And his pastor stood there quietly looking at him. And then after a few minutes, he spoke kindly and he, he, he said, God loves you more than peaches. He knows that peaches do better without frost. But to make a good man requires some frost. And he loves you more than peaches. You know, difficulties, hardships, sufferings come our way. And as followers of Christ, for sure they will come your way. And so how do you handle that? How do I handle that? Um, I'm going to see right here in the beginning, Paul rejoiced in that. So, great blessing comes, great responsibility. So, for you and for I, as followers of Christ Jesus, we have the blessing, the privilege, the responsibility to share the good news and to help build and encourage the church. So, our main point, as followers of Christ, you and I have the blessing, the privilege, and the responsibility news and to build up the church okay so I have four words for us today and so we'll run through this and through this passage the four words man um, mindset mandate mission and moxie okay mindset mandate mission and moxie so again we're in Colossians and if we don't really know exactly how the church founded was founded in Colossae but what we do believe had a message, probably in Ephesus, Ephesus was about 100 miles west of Colossae, and Epaphras had heard the message, quite possibly from Paul, probably, and then had taken it somehow, some way, he had made it back and shared the good news, and the church was founded, and we have the Colossian believers. And this little church in Colossae, it was... In what we call modern-day Turkey, it was right next to Laodicea and Heropolis. Those two cities were nearby, so it was kind of the three of them within 15 miles of each other. And this was a, probably three to 400 BC, it was a very prominent town, and it was known for its red or purple, deep red, purple wool. And that's what it was named after, a very prominent city there about three to 400 years before Christ. 
They had a road built at some point that went north-south through Laodicea to the west. And thus, when that happened, Colossae was left out and began to look, uh, dwindle in its prominence, I guess. And so at the time of Paul and the time of this church, of the three cities, it was kind of the, the little brother of the other two. Um, and Laodicea and Heropolis were on that main path. So, so we have that, and that's kind of the set we have. Um, Paul wrote this letter in around 60, 62 AD, so roughly about 25, 26 years or so after Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. And he had not been to this this town, this church, um, but he heard of it. He knew of it. He was invested in it. He knew Epaphras. He, he had heard or gotten word that there was issues coming up. There was teaching. There was things that were being iced. And then you had these other things that were being taught that were on equal or superior to Christ. You had these legalistic things that were supposed to follow. There was word of you had to have secret knowledge. Uh, there was just uh, religious ceremonial things that needed to be kept. And all these things were being put up there. And Paul saw that there's a problem because they're not teaching Christ. And so he wrote this letter to help combat that and to help encourage the believers there. So let's, let's read it again. Now, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Pray that it would encourage us, Lord, that we would uh, search deep in our heart to hear your voice, to hear and what these words are saying, and Lord, that we would apply it. Father, thank you for this great uh, provision, the very words of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first word, mindset. And I think we see that right here in this verse, Paul's mindset he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now here we are, first world America, probably for a lot of us when we think sufferings, we're not a huge fan, probably find ways to get out of it, to buy our way out of it, or to avoid it at all costs. And some suffering is self-inflicted. Sometimes it just happens. There's also suffering that happens because of our faith. Now, Paul endured a lot because of his faith. That, that road, that moment on Damascus when he met the Lord and his life radically changed. And when he saw suffering, he saw it in a different way. He said, I rejoice in my suffering. Amazing. How did he do that? Well, I saw this story. David Taylor was traveling on a train. 
And as they were traveling on it, there was a, there were a lot of people in that train car and there was a little girl and she was cartwheeling around the train and she did meet a stranger. She was just talking to everybody and bouncing around all over and just, you know, the world is her, you know, her playground. And, and he watched and he was like, I do not know who she belongs to. It's like she belongs to everybody. Well, the train was traveling and they were going in the mountains and they hit a tunnel and it got dark. And that little girl bolted and jumped into a lap of a lady sitting near the door. And in, a, and in that moment, he knew that's who she belongs to. That's her mom. And he later noted this, and he, he wrote this, and he said, a man in the day of prosperity will go here and there. But when the dark tunnel of affliction and suffering comes, people will see at once on whom he belongs. And I would say even just in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen that here evident at Grace. Several families were uh, in need or in, in, in crisis with health issues. Where did they turn? I saw the evidence. They turned to the Lord. They turned to prayer. They turned to the God's word. They held to his promises. They cling to the Savior. They were in the Savior's lap. That's who they belong to. And when I saw that, I just rejoiced in that. Paul belonged to Christ. That's where he rested. That's where his mindset was. When, when life was going, when things were happening, when suffering was happening, that's where he was, that's where he was. That's who he was clinging to. You know, when Christ was here and all the way up through the cross, he endured suffering, ridicule, uh, you name it. And especially as he went to the cross, tremendous suffering. But Christ, suffering ended on the cross. He died and rose again and lives today. So the enemies now attack his people. The enemies attack the church. The enemies were attacking the Colossian believers. Paul said, Romans 5, 8, we should boast in our afflictions. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 13, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And then Acts 5, 40 and 41, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. And then they went out from there and went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Romans 8, 18, the sufferings are not comparable to God's glory to come. 2 Corinthians 1, 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So Paul rejoiced in his sufferings and he knew it would benefit the church. If you want to know his sufferings, maybe a little more specific, check 2 Corinthians 11, lays it out. He, he endured a lot. But he said, I am, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Now, some would say, well, does that mean what Christ did was lacking or that Paul had to finish it or to complete it? No. Christ's atoning work was his alone, and he completed it. It was fulfilled. What Christ did, no one else could do. He, the 
100% God, 100% man, lived a life without sin in any way. No sinful thought, no sinful word, no sinful action. And then he went to the cross and paid the price for sin, the price that Paul couldn't pay, the Colossian believers couldn't pay, we couldn't pay. He did that. So when, when he talks about the suffering and for God, he has an appointed time when Christ is gonna return. Here it is. He knows when it is. We don't. We're somewhere in this time frame. So if, if I'm doing a timeline here with uh, Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then when Christ returns all in here, we're part of that. And so Paul was seeing uh, this as part of everyone who is suffering for the cause of Christ. It's happening, but there will be a point when God says enough and Christ returns. So part of what Paul's suffering for the cause and for the kingdom and for other believers was just being added to the sum total. But again, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Okay, so mindset, second mandate. All right, and we're, these are in verse 25 to 27. So kind of an authoritative order or command. But let me tell you, Paul was passionate about what God would have him do and was doing. Verse 25, he said, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, I have become its servant. So he's saying, I am become a servant. Whose? Well, we see in the verse before, it's the church. He says, I am serving the church, the Greek word diakonos, which is servant. He this was not a, when he used it here, not a f- title, it was a function. He was serving. And he said, I am, even though I'm not there with you Colossian believers, I am your servant. He says, God's commission, according to God's commission, God's plan, God's calling. So he saw this. This was part of Paul caring for leading the church. And his heart, I think his servant heart came from God, God's calling on his life. And really, it's a calling that when all of us, when we come to faith in Christ, that's our calling, to be a blessing, to share and to help build up others. Okay, so kind of a, that Paul's direction is commission from God. And it was to make the word of God fully known. The word, God's word, the, and for us, the Bible, we have it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's all about Christ. Okay, verse 26, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, the mystery. Now, some of us think in our modern sense, mystery, it's something unknown or not knowable. Um, but no, it was, it was different from that. This was something that was unknown, but made known or revealed. Okay, Un- it was hidden for the ages and generations. So we see that. We see in the Old Testament, there are hints of it, but it's revealed here. And can we see that? There's several places if you want to make notes, you can check back Romans 6, 25 to 27, 16, 25 to 27, and take a look at that. But the mystery here, you know, the Gentiles, Old Testament pointed, they were going to have blessing, and we, we see that in the Old Testament, but what was revealed here was even more than what they thought, and that was the, that Jews and Gentiles would be co-heirs, and that was being revealed. Um, Let's see, Ephesians, 
you want to flip to that, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 5 and 6. This was not made known to the people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so this was being made note, and it's great news for those that were not Jews. So, so the, this good news is for Jews and Gentiles. It's for all people. Okay? God wanted to make known the Gentile, to, among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, outside of Bethlehem, Luke 2, 10 and 11, but an angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, the Messiah, the Lord. Good news. Greater news, 33, 34 years later, Jesus rose from the dead and lives today and promises to return. So Paul's mission was to make this known to all people. God's wonderful, saving grace and mercy. And it was for Jews and Gentiles. Okay, the glorious wealth of this mystery. Can you imagine the God of the universe, just that uh, Gene just shared a few moments ago, the God that created all things, provided a way for us to be forgiven and then Christ in us. Christ in us. So grateful. When I think Think back to Damascus and the, and the road there. When Paul was going to persecute believers. And he hit that road and he's doing it. And when he encountered the risen Lord, what did Jesus say to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So would you and I can take comfort in that. When you and I are going through suffering and difficulty for the cause of Christ, you're not alone. Christ is experiencing it. He, he knows. And he's with you in it. And I think he was, he was so close with Paul. And that's why Paul could go back when he was thinking and say, I rejoice in that. So good news is for all people. It's good news for us today. It's 2,000 years later and it's still the best news ever. To be forgiven and to be a child of the king. Okay, the hope Hope, life after death, because of what Christ did. The hope of glory. I hope that you'll take peace and comfort in that. Paul's certainly wanting the Colossian believers to grab hold of that. Jews and Gentiles at the same table, co-heirs. Okay, so we have the mindset mandate. We have the mission, verse 28. 
We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We see Paul's plan here is kind of threefold. It's to proclaim, to warn, to teach. Okay? We proclaim him. So he says we're he and those that he is mentoring, he's teaching, that they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and they're not limiting it to who they tell. They're telling everybody. It's good news for everyone. And it centers on Christ. Christ is supreme. Centers on him. It's not on Paul. It's not on Paul's ability, his skills, his talents, his accomplishments. It's on Christ. And here today, we share the good news. It's it's sharing the good news with all people. We're sharing the good news in Ladson, Goose Creek, Hanahan, North Charleston, Somerville, Ridgeville, Ravenel. It's good news for everybody, and we want to proclaim that. And it's not about our words, our accomplishments, our skills. It's about Christ. It's all about Jesus. So he says, we proclaim it. And then he says, warning. Warning is correction. It's it's guidance, it's admonishment. Um, Proverbs 27.6 says, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. And so Paul, when he was warning and he's, he wants to warn the Colossian church, here's some stuff that's coming up that's being put as an equal teaching to Christ or superior to Christ, and he's wanting to warn them. And he's doing that because he loves them and he wants God's best for them. And same for us, when you and I have godly Christian friends or family members that are kind of giving us guidance and encouragement or they have to warn us that we, we should take that for what it is. It's, it's for our best. It's for love. It's for guidance. Paul says we are, that he is proclaiming and he's warning. And it says he's teaching, teaching everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Okay, so it's instruction. You know, temptation's going to come to the Colossian believers. It comes to us. But as we cling to the Lord and we can uh, pray in and, and his strength, we're, we can avoid falling into temptation. And then we can grow. And we grow in wisdom and grow in Christian maturity. You know, that we have the word of God. And that's why it's so important for us to be in it daily. Because it's God's guidance. It's God's instruction for us. All right, so Paul, he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. He had a heart for that. He wanted these Colossian believers, when the day come, to be presented uh, to the Lord. Some translations say perfect, um, perfect or mature. But when it says perfect, it doesn't mean perfection. Only Jesus was perfect. But it does mean completeness. And he wanted them to be presented to Christ, complete and mature. And I know for me, and I think for the others here in the church, when I see evidence of faith in my, my family at Grace, I am so excited. And that's, I know that's headed towards completeness. That's Christian maturity. And I am so encouraged when I see that. And so um, blessed to be a part of a church that wants that. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So Paul is uh, just saying great words that believers 
It was just a treasure for him to invest in them and to see them grow and mature in Christ. And I know that's our heart too. George Whitfield said this when he talked about proclaiming the good news. George Whitfield said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Folks, it is good, good news. Okay, so mindset, mandate, mission, and moxie, verse 29. It says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. It says, I labor. Some translations say toil. Um, This is a word uh, that was Greek word that was translated to use for one who was left weary, that they had given all their energy. It's like they had taken a beating, that they toiled, that they were laboring. And, And Paul says, I labor for this, what his mission was. And then it says striving. Some translations um, it, um, on striving it says struggling. Okay, he says, I, I labor for this striving with his strength. So, so this striving, st- struggling, English word that we get agony or agonize. I was used it when you're agonizing an athletic event or a fight. So you put these two together. It's like Paul is just expending everything he's got. And he's doing it because of who's in him, but spends everything. Um, when I think of examples of not that, uh, Darren and I got to play on this team three weeks ago in Ultimate in Florida, and we didn't get to play a lot. We were pretty bummed with that. Um, I had energy to burn, um, and I could have used it. Uh, a few weeks back, we were playing a co-ed soccer team, a couple of friends of us. Um, we were playing, and I tell you, I was gassed and was just like tapping my head and looking at the side like, I need a sub. It's like I had nothing left, and I had to get off and get water and get oxygen. I was spent. And you, we've heard that saying, leave it all on the field. Oh, here's Paul. He is leaving everything. I labor. I strive. I toil. I struggle. And I do it with his strength that works powerfully in me. So he's definitely going, it's not me, Paul. It's not my athletic ability. Um, It's not my great skills at speaking. It is God working in me, and I'm spending every bit of energy physically, mentally, spiritually that I have for this mission. And God gets the glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.9. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day, to do the work so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. So Paul, he's he's just everything. He is solely focused on what he needs to do for the Lord. And again, he's clinging to him so much that even when the difficulties and hardships come, he's rejoicing because he's so close to the Lord. Biblical, I read this last week, biblical authentic ministry cannot be had without hard work. And so one I want to share with you, because I know some of you, you really are truly trying to to live for the gospel. Your goal and your motive is to share the good news. So I want to encourage you, even if it feels hard or difficult or you're not seeing evidence, persevere. Let God work in you, give you strength, be faithful, continue to be ready to proclaim the good news in your words and in your actions. Because there's a community, there's a, a world that needs to know there is hope, there is joy 
in Christ Jesus, and we need to persevere and continue to share that and let God work in us. Okay, so moxie, this was um, courageous spirit and determination. And we see that here in this verse with Paul. And he has it because of who's in him. All right, so mindset, mandate, mission, and moxie. All right, Kent Hughes said this, a couple noted a couple of people in history. Martin Luther in Germany, it was said that he worked so hard, he literally, when he finally came to the end of the day, he just fell into bed. He was so exhausted. D.L. Moody uh, said that there were many times when he crashed in the evening on his bed that his prayer was, Lord, I'm tired, amen, spent for the gospel. John Wesley, it was said, that rode 60 to 70 miles a day, preached an average of two or three sermons a day. These, these, and we could probably go on and on and on from history of people that were walking close to Christ and they were willing to do everything, not hold back. And for us, we have classmates, coworkers, neighbors, extended family. Let's don't hold back. Let's share this good news because we have the blessing and the privilege and responsibility to share the good news, to proclaim it, and to help build up the church and encourage each other. Margaret Pippin wrote this about her, her father, who was a British pastor in the 1950s, and his name was W.E. Sangster. Um, and one day he began to notice, uh, he was a pastor, he began to notice a, a kind of a problem in his throat and a dragging in his leg. And he, so they went to the doctor and he found out they had an incurable disease. And soon his muscles were going to waste away. His voice was going to go. He, as soon his throat would not be able to swallow. And as he stood facing that diagnosis of that incurable disease, he thought, I can still write. It's shakily, but I can still write. And now I have more time for prayer. And so he threw himself into to praying for Britain and writing and he was part of organizing a lot of prayer groups all over Britain to pray there in the 50s. And he wrote articles and he wrote books. When people pitied him about his health condition, he said, I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering. And he, he, one of his prayers he wrote out, he said, Lord, let me stay in the struggle. I don't mind if I can no longer be a but give me a regiment to lead. He wanted to persevere. Gradually, his legs became useless and his voice went out, but he could still hold a pen. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter, and in it he said this, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning with no voice to shout, He is risen but it would be still terrible to have a voice and not want to shout so folks with great blessing you and I have great responsibility the greatest news that man can hear salvation forgiveness in Christ in us and not on us. It's all him, and it's all for his glory. So don't hold back this Christmas season. This is a great time. People are, 
leaning more in. They may not even know they're leaning in, but they're leaning in. So be ready to share the hope and the joy that they can be forgiven of sin and go from being an enemy of God to being a child of the king of the universe. So let's have the mindset, the mandate, the mission, and the moxie to do this until God calls us home. And Paul shared this with these Colossian believers. And I'm glad that the message of the gospel, the good news of Christ, is still going through history. 2,000 years later, strong as ever, and our God, who's timeless, is orchestrating everything. So I encourage you to be a part. And let's all encourage one another because when we are suffering and when it's difficult, when we, let's keep our eyes focused. Let's get in the lap of the Savior. Let's cling to him. And then let's encourage one another. That always helps. I'm sure mom wrapped her arms around her little girl on that train and encouraged her because it was still dark. It was still scary, but she was in her mom's lap. So when... You and I in life, when suffering and difficulty comes, let's rest in him, let's cling to him, and let's continue to, to share this good news, and let's encourage the church. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We, again, we thank you for your great provision. And Lord, that you would see us and know that even as you create us, that we would choose sin, we would choose to rebel, and we would choose our way. And Lord, we, as Scripture says, we're dead in our sin. But Lord, you provided a way by your own, one and only Son, the Savior of the world. And Lord, we just uh, humbly give thanks to you. Thank you for that moment many of us can testify where we repented of sin and put our faith and trust in you. We cling to you. And so Father, we just uh, thank you for that. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the hope and joy that we have in life, both when, when it's um, pleasant, but also, Lord, when it's difficult, when the frosts come in our life, lives that we cling to you. Father, we just uh, praise you this morning, giving thanks. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.